Okay, praise God. Thank you so much for turning off the lights and turning back on just as importantly. Thank you. We um, are finishing our series, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, the text that we are basing these last three weeks off is Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. So Matthew 1, 2, 3. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'm actually going to grab my little clicker here. We uh, went over two, you know, the last two weeks, we've went over two of the three topics that we have discussed. We talked about remembering, uh, repenting, and today we'll talk about rejoicing. Remembering, if you remember, Andy Ivansov preached about the uh, incarnation and incarnation basically means when, when God, Jesus, became man. And it's not that he stopped being God to become man. He was 100% God, and then he became 100% man. So you, 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 do the, you do the math there, and you realize that uh, when we talk about the incarnation, a lot of it is still mysterious to us. Mysterious not in the weird sense of like novels and stuff. Mysterious as in there are some things that God allows us to understand fully in the scriptures. And there are some things that God doesn't give us to understand fully. But we, what we do know is that God became truly man in or, and, and walked this life like we heard in a perfect way. Died uh, the death that we should have died so that we could live the life he uh, could have lived with his righteous life. And then we talked about repentance. Um, repenting, Joseph Gorosh mentioned that it's important for Christ to be born in our hearts. Christ was born in Bethlehem, and remember he brought up the picture of an actual ma manger, not the manger that we see on Christmas cards, but an actual manger. That thing is dirty, it's stinky, um, it's not a place, you know, where you want to sleep necessarily, or go into child labor, but uh, he, he made the comparison of that being something like our heart is, meaning our hearts, and I'll be honest with you, I used to think, and I, I, even when I would say things like, oh, we're all, you know, we're fallen, we're all sinners, but I used to be like, I, I don't think these thoughts were actually going through me, but subconsciously, I knew that I wasn't like people, let's say, in the world who were doing things, even before I came to Christ, and the more I stay in Christ, the more I realize just how horrible of a person I was, like really bad. And that manger that Joseph was showing, where Jesus was born, that, you know, the dirty and the, and the stinky, that, that is my heart, and even more so. Uh, and the fact that Jesus chose to be born in a manger, um, it, it speaks to the fact that Jesus wants to be born in your hearts, whatever that heart is. You know, there's no sin that Jesus is like, well, no. You know, you've got to have to figure that out before you come to me. He wants to, he wants to actually come into that situation at, uh, first, you know, primarily, um, and not the other way around, where you deal it and then you come to Christ. So repenting, we talked about Christ being born in our hearts as he was born in Bethlehem. And so today we talk about rejoicing. Rejoicing. Today, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to apologize. I usually apologize, but I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm going to take you through a couple of texts. No apologies today because this stuff is awesome, okay? This is going to be really good, um, really good stuff. We're going to talk about rejoicing, and there's a reason why we rejoice. 
We rejoice because Christ didn't just come into this world that we messed up through Adam and say, well, I'm going to save you, and now you just have to, you know, I guess, live 60 more years after you came to Christ at 15 or, you know, whatever, and, um, you know, make sure not to do, as you know, a lot of sin, and then, and then you'll make it to heaven. You know, I'm, I'm your Lord now. Um, he has a plan, and this is going to be my, 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 my topic today. He has a plan for us, for your body, for my body, for, for you as an individual. It's not like he's going to, um, he, like in general, everything that God does, he does with a purpose. God doesn't do purposeless stuff. There was, says the, the world was void and it was formless and the spirit of God was hovering over it and then God started creating and he creates such perfect order, beauty. And after every time, every day, every day that he creates, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. So everything God does has a purpose. He doesn't have any waste in the things he does. And sometimes in, in your life, it might look like, man, there's going to be a lot of waste in this year. But like we've heard in the sermon, if you trust God, if you continue to say, God, I don't understand why my life is going like this, why I'm going through such hardships. I'm, I, you know, I thought life with you wouldn't, I, I, I was told it's not easy, but I wasn't told it's going to be worse than my life before. If that is the season that you're in and God's taking you, understand that God doesn't waste anything. All the things that you're going through, anything, any hardships that you're going through, he has a reason for that. He has a plan for you. Maybe he's, he's working on you. He's like preparing you in some sort of way for whatever it is that he wants you to do in the future. You don't know that. I don't know that. But he knows that. God never wastes anything. And he can take the worst and the most, you know, seemingly meaningless situations in our lives and use them for his glory and for our good if, if that verse says we love God and are called according to his purpose. If we love God, that's what it says, and are called according to his purpose, everything works together for our good. And so I'd like to talk about um, our bodies specifically today. And the reason I, I, I chose this topic in, in 15 minutes, I'm just going to try to condense here, is because there is this idea that our bodies are really just things that we have to really struggle with for, you know, 60 years here on earth. And after that, everything, you know, our body wastes away, and then we go on to be with God, with our spirit. And so really it doesn't matter. And people get this idea, or at least I had this idea, that it matters what you do here on earth, like because whatever you do physically has a spiritual meaning. But in that sense, not in the sense that everything you physically do with your body matters. Because God has a plan, not just for your soul, not just for your spirit, but even for your body. He's, he's working with all of you. And especially everything, because everything that you do physically has spiritual meanings and vice versa. So check this out. We're going to talk about Jesus' second coming. We're going to look at two places. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start with 1 Thessalonians 4. And I want you to just follow with me and see what God's purpose is for your physical body, the body that you might feel uncomfortable with, the body that you might be thinking to do things with in the future, you know, you have plans, and well, we might get into that if we have time. That physical body that God gave you, that God knit, the plan that he has for your body, your soul, and your spirit. So check this out. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Let me, let me open that, because I just have my... Uh, my little notes. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. When, when Paul says asleep, what do you think he means? Dead. Physically dead. But it's interesting. Jesus used that word, asleep. Remember one time someone died and they say, hey, Jesus, come, come heal. And, and, and she, when, when he comes to the place where this dead girl is, he says, she's asleep. Everyone starts laughing. They don't understand it. But to, to Jesus, this whole resurrection thing, to us, it's like, wow, someone's dead. You know, that's the point of no return. Jesus was God, and he's like, I am the resurrection of the dead, you know. And so he, he rose her up from the dead. But I don't, I, Paul says, I want you to understand something about people who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And so point number one, verse 13, Christians have a definite, sure hope in the future. That there's lots of things that are promised to us here on earth, but there is a hope that you can know beyond any, any doubt, as a Christian, you are guaranteed that. And this is what we're, we're, we're going to be reading about today. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, uh, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So, Next verse, verse 14, Paul says, because Jesus rose from the dead, you will rise from the dead as well. That's all we need to know about that verse. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, think about this. This is talking about Jesus' second coming. Jesus comes as king now. Remember, we read that Jesus was born in a manger, you know, God with us. People were like bringing him gifts. Now Jesus has died on the cross and is, uh, you know, rose, rose from the dead, is sitting at the right hand of, of God the Father, and is going to come back for his church, for his children, for us, for you and I. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, and this is what I, uh, and what I'm, uh, what I don't you to want you to be unaware of is this, that you, uh, that God will bring with, uh, for, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul puts himself in the category of the people who meet Jesus in his second coming. Did, did you see that? Paul says, we who are alive, we will not proceed, we will not go before those who are going to be resurrected from the dead. And we'll talk about that. Just don't worry about the resurrection of the dead. But I just want you to get this idea. Paul understood the imminency of Christ's return. Now, the word imminence here, it, it's, it's the best word to use. And it's a weird word. We don't use it. But theologically, imminent is a word that basically means it's going to happen very, very soon. But you don't know when. Imminent. It's like it's right there, but you don't know where it is. And Paul's way of viewing Christianity, of viewing Christ's return, of viewing how do I use, you know, my time uh, after I get home from work was that, that Christ will return in his lifetime. And he says, and those who have already been martyred for Christ, those who have died, and they were Christians, they're going to precede us, and then we will, you know, something will happen with us. The imminency of Christ. I believe we've lost, in a certain sense, is, uh, the, this feeling that Christ will return imminently. Like, tonight, perhaps. It, because it sounds, 
you know, it sounds extreme to say that. It sounds, it doesn't sound theologically balanced to say that. But the more I read, like, people from, from the past and people who've been studying this, it is a very, it's very healthy to live life this way. It doesn't mean you drop your job, don't go to school. No, you can do all those things, but it helps you order your days, your weeks, and your years in a way that glorify, glorifies God most. The imminency of Christ's return. That should be something in our minds. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. So now Paul says, this is why those who have died will be with God before us. And this is going to be just a thing of moments. Uh, Jesus, the Lord is going to come. By Lord, he means Jesus. With a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You guys have to understand, these are facts. This isn't theory. Paul's not theorizing here and saying, I think based off, he says, this is how the second coming will, will happen. This is how Christ will return. Christ is going to come for his church. He's going to take his church out of the world. No more suffering. No more of that stuff. But he says, those who have died, those who are in the deepest parts of the ocean, those whose bodies have been burned in fires, uh, those who have been eaten by, by animals uh, in Colosseums, those who are, you know, decaying in, in, in wherever they are, those bodies will be resurrected and will be with God. Can you imagine? Now, if we can say, well, that's impossible. You know, it's so deep and the body's decayed or now it's ashes. This is God's work, okay? I'm not here to try to explain to you the, the chemical, the metaphysical ways it's going to happen, but this is how it happens. So people will be resurrected from the dead, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So everyone, everyone who's alive, let's say we are alive, we see as thousands and millions of people, I, I think we see, maybe we can't see with our physical bodies yet, though we'll get into that, as, as they come to God, as God is there with a trumpet, there's this trumpet that's going throughout all the world, the Bible says, there's a voice of an archangel, this is a big event, and people begin rising to God. Then those who are alive, us, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Can you imagine? This is a transformation of every single believer's body that happens instantaneously, it looks like, where after those who are resurrected are with Christ, people, us, believers, are transformed from our earthly bodies into our heavenly bodies to be with God forever. And on those clouds, you have this, this union again. Your grandparents who have already died. Perhaps your parents have died. Your, your dad has died or your mom has died. Maybe your siblings. There is this reunion, this beautiful reunion as everyone is reunited with their loved ones and reunited with Jesus Christ who becomes the focus point of this whole event. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. In verse 18 we read, Therefore encourage one another with these words. Actually, my verse, just disregard the, the note there. My point here is this. In verse 1 through 12, why do you think Paul talks about uh, these new bodies in verse 13 through, what is it, 18? Because our earthly bodies are created to please God. 
This is fact. Our earthly bodies are created to please God. Meaning everything we do, the Bible says, whether you eat, even in whether you, you're eating or drinking, it says it should be done in a way that glorifies God. Whether you're playing sports, going to school, whatever it is that you're doing, glorifying God. Meaning, is this, you're asking the question, is this pleasing to my Savior? Paul talks about this resurrection because of one thing. In verse 1 through 12, he talks about, guess what, a life that is pleasing to God. And he, he basically goes, live a life that's pleasing to God because... And then he goes on from verse 13 and on to explain your physical bodies are, are how God has a plan for them. They're not going to be disregarded. You can't just do whatever you want in your physical body and be like, well, my spirit's with God. You know, I believe in my heart. Do you now? Like, do you now? Because your heart and your mind and your body, they're all three. God created all three. He didn't disconnect one and, and, and say, you know, uh, you can do what you want with these two and, and, and I just give me, or you could do whatever you want with your body. Just give me your soul and your spirit. That's not what God said. God created body, soul, and spirit, and he has a plan for them. So these new bodies, these heavenly bodies, I'm not going to go too much into them. I have five more minutes. But the idea is, is that they will be able to be in the presence of God. Do you remember Jesus' new body when he was on earth? Jesus had a new body. There was a time, remember, when after his resurrection, Jesus is resurrected in his new body. It's the body that he's able to bless disciples with and ascend into heaven. Remember, he says he was blessing his disciples. Just begin to, like, float up. That's not a physical body. That's a new body. That's the body that when someone, like, tried touching him, he says, hey, don't, uh, don't touch me because, like, like I, I forget the exact words, but he, basically there's, it's a different body. It's a body that, you know, he walked through doors at one point. Um, I'm just trying to remember. At one point he was, like, visible to his disciples, and then they couldn't see him. Remember that time, the road to Emmaus? You guys remember that? You guys read that? Yeah, so there's, it's, a, it's a new body. It's a heavenly body. It's a different body, and it's an eternal body. This is a body that God has prepared for you as a believer. This is not just a general thing. You're not, God's not going to forget about you. But this tells us something about our physical bodies. Next place. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-10. This is what we read today. Second Corinthians 5, 1-10. For we know... That if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. What is Paul talking about here? The tent that is our earthly home. Tent, I could say, I would say is temporary, right? Tent, you go camping, you put it, pick it up, you know, you set it up. Three days later, you take it down. It's temporary. He says, we know that if this, this tent that is our earthly home, and most theologians agree that Paul is talking about the body, the, our physical earthly bodies here is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. This isn't a, this, this, we, so if our earthly bodies are destroyed, we have a new body that's created by God, and it's not made from the same chemicals, the same substance, you know, the, the, that we find on earth. It's different. He goes, for in this tent, so look, just to recap, verse one, tent is temporary, talking about the body. House is permanent, talking about eternal, the eternal or the heavenly body. Verse two, for in this tent we groan, longing to put our heavenly dwelling on. Well, longing to put our heavenly dwelling, my ESV says. Do you know what that feels like, groaning, to put on your heavenly, your heavenly dwelling? 
Have you ever uh, felt stressed or sick or scared, like real fear, and you're paralyzed? You know those things are not going to be present in, in God's presence in heaven. These new bodies that God gives us, they are not, uh, they don't go well. They don't go at all with these things. So those, every, all of those things that we're struggling with, the battle here on earth, which we need to wage, that is going to be overcome by life in the new heavenly bodies that Jesus gives us. And let's continue in verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. If you guys just listen closely to that language, it's, in my mind, in my opinion, very carefully chosen language by Apostle Paul. He, he doesn't, notice how he talks about the body. He doesn't say, well, once your body, body is discarded, he doesn't say that. Or once your body is just gone, you know, God has something new. He goes, he goes, and um, you know, we groan because we don't want to be unclothed. We don't just want to stop existing or die. That's not the idea. People want to live. He goes, we want to be further clothed. We want this earthly body to take on a heavenly body during the second coming of Jesus Christ, during that general re uh, resurrection of all the saints, when, when our earthly bodies are going to become more alive, when we are going to become more living, more living than ever before. That is your future. That is our future in Jesus Christ. So he says, your body is going to be overcome by life. He says, look, that this mortal not may be destroyed, but may be swallowed up by life. It's like everything that is earthly about you, right? God doesn't just destroy. He builds on top of that. And I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to be theological here. I'm just trying to bring it down so we can understand. And he makes it perfect. He makes it heavenly. There's no tears. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no sorrow. There's nothing, none of that stuff. And you're with God. You're in perfect bliss. That is your future. And that is not just your spirit's future. That is the future of all of you, body included. Does that make sense? Verse 5. Paul says, I can give you proof of this. He goes, where did the spirit come into? He goes, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. When the spirit descended on earth, it didn't come into the temple, which the temple was still standing at that point. Did you know? But it, it came in on people. And he says that spirit is a guarantee. It comforts you. It gives you peace. And it shows you glimpses of what your future is going to be like if you are in Jesus Christ. And so verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul's longing to be with God, to be clothed with this new body, is, it, it's, it surpasses kind of, I think, a normal Christian level. But you could see that longing. He just, he said, I want to be with God. I want to be in heaven. Verse 10. Where does, where does all this lead to? Oh, let's do verse 9. So whether we are at home or away... We make it our aim to do what? To please him. To please God. In our bodies. Yeah, not just in our meditations, you know, as we pray in the morning. In our physiological bodies, we make it our greatest goal to please God. 
For we must, and he, he says why. And Paul, see, Paul doesn't shrink back. And now, today's society, it's kind of looked down upon, be like, God, oh, dude, you're, you're back, you're talking about judgment again, talking about hell again, we talked about this, no hell in today's, but this is, these are like facts, these are truths. And Paul's like, this is what's gonna happen. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, in the body, each one has to give an account give what is due or receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I want to differentiate here. We're not, we don't have time. I'm, I'm finishing up, I promise. There's different judgments. There's the judgment for those who are wicked and there's a judgment for those who are righteous. And my understanding is that the judgment for those who are believers, yes, it's going to be a judgment, but it's going to be more of a motive thing. Remember it talks about what, if you build that of gold, precious stone, silver, the fire is going to consume that. It's going to melt, but it's not going to disappear. It's going to pass through the fire. But if you're building, maybe you're doing ministry, you're doing things here on earth as a believer, and it's out of straw, out of wood, out of hay. Remember the Bible says that? He says those things will be consumed by the fire. At that, I believe it's at that last judgment seat of Christ. And in in my understanding, it's not a thing of salvation, but it is a thing of motives. It's like, why were you doing them? It, God starts to really, you know, he, he just, he, he tests everything. We don't, we, we're not going to get into that. All I'm saying is that there's different judgments, but nonetheless, there is, even for believers. All that goes to say, three points. Because God is redeeming our bodies, notice the language. I, I first wrote, he will redeem, and then as I was thinking about this, God is actively redeeming our bodies right now. He's, he's not just redeeming our bodies, I'm just stressing it for this sermon. He's redeeming us. Does that make sense? For the sake of the sermon, though, he is redeeming our bodies, meaning if you notice in your Christian walk, I'm, I'm telling you, I notice in my Christian walk, it's painful, though. It's, sometimes it's like, Lord, come, like, you know, I was in a good spot where God begins to nudge you. He nudges you. He goes, hey, you, could, you, could, you, you were able to do that as a believer last year. This year, I don't want you to do that anymore. And you're like, God, like, come on. Like, this is, this is normal. You know, like, people, like, normal people do this. But there, there's somewhere where God is leading us as believers. For what reason? He it says he, he prunes us so that we could be better used by him. God, give us grace. God, give us mercy. God give us help, but he, he kind of, he leads us closer to himself, and thus we can be more effective for his kingdom. But because God is redeeming our bodies, everything we do through our bodies matters. So anything I do with my hands, my feet, my, my, my intellect, all of that matters. And that's why there's jobs that Christians, they don't necessarily condemn them because this is the world. This is how our fallen world works. But we as, as believers, we don't, we don't, we, we try to stay away from those jobs. We try to not do jobs, let's say, that hurt other people because we're hurting God's creation. We're hurting other people that could potentially have those bodies that, let's say, if I'm in the military, I'm killing the other body. That body, if that's a believer, is going to be transformed, resurrected with me. And what a weird, you know, meeting is going to be like, hey, you know. I, I, I shot you, I'm sorry, you know, and we were both believers. That's, that's not what we're called to as believers. And that's why in our church we teach and we hold on to the doctrine of pacifism. But good works versus evil works, they matter. 
everything we do in this world with our physical bodies matter. All I'm saying is this, youth, please hear me out. Be this week, and may God give us grace. This is impossible to do from man's strength. But this week, allow the grace of God to lead you into, uh, and your body, specifically your body, because that's where everything manifests, into uh, a place where you're actively thinking about pleasing God with everything that you're doing with your physical body. So when you're, when you're browsing the web, God help us. When we're with friends, God help us. When we're at work, we're at school, God help us. Just pleasing God. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for grace. There's so many nuanced situations when you're in school, at work, there's, you know, on on the web. But ask God to give you wisdom. And God will. God will show you exactly what he wants from you in that season. And he will show you more. Number two, because God is redeeming our bodies, what we do to our bodies matters. Because God is actively redeeming your body and my body, what you do to your body matters. You have to understand, God created your body. God knit. The Bible says, David says, God, he knit me in my mother's womb. It's like he was actively involved in creating this human, every one of you. He made you in in the way that he wanted to make you. Beautiful and perfect and strong and weak. And maybe you're like, I'm too strong, I'm too weak, I'm too this, I'm too that. God made you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of Take care of yourself. But what I'm saying is you don't need to modify your body. Does that make sense? The, there's no need to like better your body because God is in the process of, 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 of leading your body into such a beautiful and heavenly body that we can't imagine. I, I say these things, heavenly body, body that can do this and that, no tears, no sorrow, but I don't know what that means, but it is so true, and that is your future. And so what, what I'm calling, again, there, may, may, all I'm saying is pray as God for wisdom, for grace. Uh, there are certain things, though, that I, I do want to mention uh, for grace and wisdom of how to, what to do with your body. But there are certain things that we as a church and we as a youth, we teach against, specifically, explicitly. And we say tattoos, that's a no-go for us. That's a no-go for us. We talk about alcohol. We talk about drugs. That's a no-go for us. We, we just, we don't do that stuff to our bodies. We have our bodies. Listen, there's going to be other people in this world, their bodies, unfortunately, they're not going to go through the same beautiful heavenly transformation. But our bodies are. Our bodies do have a plan. God has a plan for your life and for your body. And so take care of it. Take care of it in a way, not that, you know, what your friends are doing, in the way that God wants you to take care of it. Stay pure before God. And God will bless you. And the last thing, because God is redeeming our bodies, everything we do to other bodies matter. And we talked about pacifism and sexual immorality is one of those other things where people talk about, well, you know, I believe in my heart and I'm like, I'm a good Christian. I have fellowship with God. I pray. I read. You can't tell me that I'm not saved. And it's like, that's not what I'm saying right now. But what I'm saying is that you know, you're actively sinning against, when I'm talking about sexual, sexual immorality or, you know, sex before marriage. Or even, even there's, there's things that, like, that they don't include sex before marriage. Before that, that we're like, we don't do that stuff. Because they are, this is sin against this body that God is redeeming. That God wants you to stay, uh, keep pure, keep holy. The Bible says that our bodies, our bodies, not our soul or our spirit, our bodies are the temple of God. Can you imagine? 
Our bodies are the temple of God, meaning the spirit of God now dwells within us. Again, in this point, I would stress the fact, don't lean on your own strength. And I know this is a struggle, especially, well, I'm not going to say girls, guys, but guys, this is a struggle. Sexual purity on the web and other places with, with you know, f female friends. But this is something that we're not, this isn't a recommendation. This is a command of God. Keep yourselves pure. Keep yourselves unstained by the world. If you want the blessing of God, if you want to fulfill the will of God, if you want to please God, this is what God is calling us to. And only God can help us do that. Only God can give us strength, give us wisdom to do these things, to glorify our gods, uh, our God in our hearts and in our bodies, mind, soul, and spirit. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray. Let's stand. And in this time, I would like you, I would like us to go through a time maybe of repentance. If there are things that we need to repent of, repent right now before God. If you want someone to pray with, no problem. Come up front. We'll pray for you. But whatever it is, make decisions in your heart. God, I want to give my body to you. I give my body to you. I give my body to serve you. I want to live a pure and holy life. Help me. Can't do it by myself, but you can help me, and God will help you. Amen? I don't want to be, a, I don't want to be a, a negative Nancy, you know, just really just press down. I'm sorry, but this is just one of those things that um, I think will bring us, should bring us to rejoicing. Rejoicing for the fact that God hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't forgotten about your problems. He's actually coming back for you. He has a place prepared for you. He has a new heavenly body prepared for you. And all you have to do is spend time in, with, in a relationship with him, and he will lead you down these beautiful paths of righteousness.